Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, September 26th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all today. Anything goes. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all you want to talk about, pick up the phone and join us right now. We're opening the phone lines. 855-950-3835. Jump in and join me. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, we can talk about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. Phone lines are open. Jump in right now. We'll be here for the next hour or until we run out of your questions. So line them up. All right. I have a couple things I want to talk about. One, uh, I think I'll start with this one. I just posted this on uh, truckingtribe.com. So I've talked about this for a while, but I saw a headline about it this morning and I went back and found the original article I wrote. So I'm talking about Nikola. So the headline I saw today, um, which was very interesting. So right now, the original CFO of Nikola Trucks, Trevor Milton, is in court. And it's pretty serious charges. He could face up to 25 years in prison over this. He's facing fraud charges. So here's the headline, and this is coming out of this court case right now. Uh, The Nicola CFO, the chief financial officer, made the statement, Milton statements could be inaccurate or exaggerated. Yeah, I'll change that to not could be. They are. They are. They were. The, the original claims made about this truck were outrageously exaggerated, not even just a little. They were ridiculous, actually. So I know I've mentioned this, but I've never gone back to look for it. So I did go back and I found um, the original uh, post that I put up on social media about this. So I put it up on truckingtribe.com. So if you want to see it, Um, I put the original text so you can see all the things I questioned about this truck and about how outrageous these claims were. And then you can see the date. I I put a a snapshot of the post that I put up on Facebook. I posted this in May of 2016. May of 2016. I said in my original post, I called total bullshit on all of their claims. They were ridiculous, and I couldn't understand why the industry was embracing this. I remember um, U.S. Express showed a ton of support for this. Every time I saw a picture of the Nikola truck, it had U.S. Express graphics on it. They had claimed they were going to buy, I don't remember the number, hundreds of these And I I just couldn't understand. And it went on for so long. I can remember John Walco and I, um, this probably would have been the power hour. I think it was when John was still at Pittsburgh Power. We were calling it vaporware, that it wasn't real. And then the industry got behind it so much, we started to question ourselves. We thought, well, maybe, maybe there really is something here. 
And the company's still around. They do still claim they're going to build some trucks. We'll see what happens. Trevor Milton's not a part of it anymore, and he may end up in prison. But uh, the industry supported this so much that John and I started to question ourselves. And we knew who. I mean, we called this right from the beginning, but then we said, oh, okay, maybe there really is something here. Uh, okay, so we exaggerated a little bit. He exaggerated a lot. I, it just let me go back and see if I can find some of these. This was the biggest one. Um, and these kind of quotes come right from their website. Now, if you understand trucking, I want you to tell me how ridiculous this statement is. Uh let me see. Let's start. This is a quote right from the article I wrote. Let's start with the most outrageous claim I see on their website. I copied this straight from their website. Um, and I, honestly, I don't think to, I need to explain this to anybody that knows anything about trucks. But this is what their website said. Less weight equals more money. When pulling at max capacity, every pound counts. With nearly 2,000 pounds of weight savings on the chassis, owners can throw more goods on each load. Every pound after max load may be worth as much as 50 cents a mile. By saving up to 2,000 pounds, owners can earn approximately $1,000 in extra revenue from every load every day. That is one of the most outrageous claims I have ever seen about anything in trucking. That came right from their website. By saving up to 2,000 pounds, owners could earn approximately $1,000 in extra revenue from every load. I, why didn't anybody else in the industry push back on this? Why was U.S. Express so willing to put their name all over this but never questioned an outrageous claim like that. And they should have. The guy's in court now, but it's six years later. We, I, uh, listen, listen to this. Again, I took this right from their website. Owners that run at full load could see up to $30,000 or more each month in revenue. Owner operators don't even make $30,000 a month in revenue. They're claiming you would make that much more. Now, I talked about how outrageous the claims were. That's not the real world. That Not even 1% of trucking works this way. There's no part of trucking that works this way. These numbers were absolutely ridiculous. But here's the other thing. They're talking about this extra revenue because they claim... There's 2,000 pounds of weight savings in their truck. But their truck weighs 21,000 pounds. That's a heavy tractor by anybody's measure. I, I could easily, at the time I think I wrote, I could easily go build an 18,000 pound truck without really spending a lot of extra money. Hell, this, this cab... Originally, they were claiming was going to be made out of carbon fiber to save weight, and all they could get it down to was 21,000 pounds. The problem is, and I said this, it's a complicated truck because it's battery hydrogen. Y yeah, you've got the whole hydrogen system that has to go on there, which is big, 
and then you have all the batteries, this is going to be a heavy truck. But they came out and said the opposite, that it's so light, you're going to make all this money. It was just just insane. Um, also, I, you can read it. I went through a ton of numbers and tore them apart. Their claims about what it would cost to operate this truck. Um, originally, the cost of the vehicle was $375,000. But don't worry. You're going to make $30,000 more a month. Well, he, uh, he may spend some time in prison over all of those numbers. So if you want to talk about that, we certainly can. If you want to go read it, you can read um, what's going on with the court case right now. And you can also read my original post on truckingtribe.com. All right. uh, I don't know. Have you guys not woken up this morning? I don't have a single call yet. Usually I've got calls by now. Jump in and join me. I've got stuff I can talk about, but uh, I'd rather talk about what's in your mind. Lines are open 855-950-3835. All right. A lesson for today from one of my favorite authors, uh, Seth Godin. I talk about Seth Godin a lot, but I don't necessarily recommend his books. Now, I will recommend them for people who have already been reading a lot of good business books. So if you've been, you know, big into audio books and you've read all the other books I've recommended and I've got several lists out there. Uh, people call me all the time and ask for recommendations. I'll help you with that. If you're one of those and you, you're already getting through a lot of business books, absolutely go read or listen to everything Seth Godin writes. The reason I don't recommend them right at the beginning is, is Seth Godin is all about marketing. That, that's his whole gig, marketing and kind of customer service. But they, he really ties those two together uh, in a pretty unusual way that I haven't seen anywhere else. That's what makes it so powerful. And in trucking, as an owner-operator, we, we really don't do any marketing. And I'm just afraid if somebody read these books first, kind of in the beginning, it might be confusing. So you know, I've got lots of book recommendations out there. But if you are going through those and you're learning a lot, absolutely go read and listen to Seth Godin. Uh, he also writes a, a short blog post every day. And I mean, just like a paragraph or a couple sentences, but he does it every day. Uh, I get it in my email. You could start there. It's a great place to subscribe to his daily message. And his message today um, reminded me of something. I talked about this a little bit um, a couple weeks ago, but I think it could use a little expanding on because it's a really powerful lesson. So I was talking about learning how to wake foil, and I'm going to go back to that because there's some good lessons there. His post, I don't know if it was today, it was sometime recently, was about he has taught lots of people to juggle over the years. And the way he approaches it is very different, but it's really, really powerful. And it's the way I tend to approach learning and teaching as well. So he says, if you watch anybody else try to learn how to juggle, what they focus on is catching the ball. Because when you drop the ball, you failed. So they focus on catching the ball. 
over and over and over and over. But think about it in juggling. If you have to step or reach or really extend to catch a ball, then you're completely out of position to throw the next one. So, yeah, you caught this one, but you'll fail on the next one. And they focus on catching the ball over and over and over. And what he does when he teaches somebody how to juggle is he puts the ball in their right hand first and says, toss it up and just let it drop. They don't even catch it. They just toss it up. Then he has them do it with the left hand over and over and over. And when you get really, really good at throwing the ball up consistently in the exact same place, then catching it is really simple. And you're never out of position. But people don't want to take that time to learn that skill because it doesn't feel like juggling. They want to jump right in and and master the skill. But most skills have dozens, if not sometimes hundreds of sub skills you need to master first. There's a really good lesson in here. So that was on juggling. Learn how to throw the ball. Don't focus on catching. Because think about this. If the ball lands in your palm, it's pretty easy to catch, isn't it? But if it's out of position and you have to reach and stretch and watch and look, well, it's much harder. But if you can learn how to throw the ball so consistently that it just lands in your palm every time, that's really simple. It's not hard to catch. You don't need to practice the skill of catching at that point. It's really easy. So I had an experience with this just recently. I'm still going through it, learning how to wake foil or uh, wing foil. So I decided not to take lessons. They really recommend you take lessons, but I decided not to because I learn better when I have to struggle more myself and the lessons seem to stick more that way. But I don't want to start from scratch not knowing anything. So the beauty in today's world, you don't have to pay for formal lessons for just about anything anymore. My God, you can go to YouTube and learn how to do just about everything with video you can watch. The only difference really between that and me hiring somebody to teach me directly is that somebody teaching me directly could look at the mistakes I'm making and point them out sooner. But I find that when the mistakes are pointed out for me, I tend to forget them more easily. If I struggle to learn those same lessons myself through trial and error, it tends to stick more. So for me, the sweet spot in learning is a little bit of instruction, maybe watching some videos and then going out and doing it. Now, I watched several different series of videos from different people, different companies, And then I found one that I, it just kind of clicked with me and I liked it. And here's why this lesson exactly. They did not focus in the beginning on being out in the water with the wing and the foil, the entire focus. And they pushed it hard was learn how to fly the wing and don't do it in the water. Learn how to fly the wing standing on your lawn. If you're brave, and you're reasonably good on a skateboard, actually try it on a skateboard first. The water 
makes everything more complicated. Learning how to fly the wing out in the water is really difficult. And you got to deal with the board and the waves and all the other current and all the other stuff going on. So they said, learn how to fly the wing first. So I took that pretty seriously. I spent a lot of time with the wing itself. My thought also was the board was going to be really easy for me because I've been doing that kind of stuff my whole life, but I've never done this foil board. So I was wrong. The board is actually the hard part to learn, but it's a little easier for me because I spent time with the wing. I watched a guy come down the other day and he was on a big uh, full-size surfboard and you could tell he was really good on that surfboard. His balance was amazing. He, he could climb right up on it, stand, work with his wing, doing all kinds of stuff. I thought, well, this guy's got it. Except the first time I tried to, to go, I thought, that must be the first time he's ever even held a wing. The guy was a disaster with the wing. He just could not figure it out at all. So clearly he had not found or heard the advice about learning how to fly the wing first. So just that lesson, many times when we try to learn something, we focus on the wrong thing. And the lesson here in business is most people, most entrepreneurs, most people who go into business, focus on the skills of what the business does. And so in trucking, they focus on the trucking part of it, even the driving part of it. And they believe, well, look, I've been a driver for 25 years and I don't have any violations and no accidents. And I, that's awesome. That's awesome. It has almost nothing to do with making you a good owner operator. I actually know somebody and I'm not going to name him, but I know somebody who was an awesome owner operator with no real background in the industry but he studied and practiced the right stuff. Not the trucking part of it, but the business part of it. Came to a CMC early on, uh, became an excellent owner-operator. Then something shocked me one time. I was actually in a car with him. He was a horrible driver. Really, I was shocked. But he was an excellent business owner, and he was a very successful owner-operator. The driving part, yeah, it'd be nice if we were good drivers, Most owner-operators are, really. But that's not the important part. We focus many times on learning the wrong stuff. So in my program, the one that teaches you how to become an owner-operator, I focus on all of the right stuff. People are sometimes shocked that I didn't cover certain things. Yeah, because those things just aren't important. Many, many times we just, we learn the wrong skill or we learn them in the wrong order. So if you have any questions about that, we can talk about that or anything else. Phone calls are flying in now. So finally, everybody woke up. We're going to head off to the phones, find out what's on your mind today. We're going to get started in Oklahoma. Mike, welcome to the program. How was your weekend there, Kevin? It was wonderful. Actually, um... 
It was, there was another story I thought about telling, but I haven't made up my mind yet. We took the coach back down to the factory. It's about a three-hour drive to get it back down to the factory. And down in that part of Oregon, right. it's like RV Central. It's kind of like Indiana on the West Coast. You know, Indiana's where almost all the RVs are made. Everything's right there. For some reason, the higher-end right. part of the market the higher-end coaches, the Prevos, the Marathons, the Country Coach, several of the others. For some reason, that was in Oregon. I have no idea why, um, but that's kind of the world, and it's right down there around Junction City, Eugene, down in that area. So we took it back, and we have a list, I mean, pages and pages of stuff. We're just going to do a total refresh on this thing. But then we got looking at some other ideas while we were down there. So we did look at a couple new coaches. Tiffin makes a nice coach. We considered that. Then we saw that Tiffin actually now builds fifth wheels. And we used to have a 43-foot oh. toy hauler. We pulled it with the semi. I loved that setup because, me, it was, it was like trucking again. You know, I get to drive a truck and... I love that whole part of it. There are some downsides. You know, it's nice in the coach where you park at night and you just walk back to bed. Um, but I really, really right. miss, you know, having the, the tractor trailer set up. And part of the problem was there really aren't any real true quality fifth wheels. They're built so light. They have to be because everybody's pulling around with pickup trucks and they've, they've really pushed the limits on size. So they build them super light, which yeah. means they're just not that durable. I mean, we, we tore ours up in no time. We, we, you know, used it so hard. There are a couple companies you could go out and build one custom, but they're outrageously expensive. And then you've got to buy a tractor to pull it. So we kind of avoided that. But I got looking. These Tiffin fifth wheels are really nice. Much, much better quality than anything else that's out on the market and some some pretty nice layouts with a lot of space. We would actually gain space with a 42-foot fifth wheel over the 45-foot coach. You actually end up with a lot more usable space. Yeah, I mean. And, you know, you're significantly yeah, longer, too. But uh, So now I've, I've got a big decision to make. We're going to get the work done on our coach no matter what because it's, <laughs> it's, it's got to get done even if we decide to sell it. So I don't know. I got to figure it out. Rough there, Kevin. Yeah, I know. First, first world problems, right? Uh, <laughs> nothing. I'm going to lose any sleep over. Yeah. But so that was Saturday, and then Sunday I spent all day in the garden, and Lisa spent all day in the kitchen processing all the stuff I was bringing in. So uh, the garden's just really, really busy right now. So that was my weekend. How was yours? That's good. Yeah, it was. It was nice. Got to see my kids out. For a little while and visit with them was nice. Good. And uh, I noticed here this uh, last week when I was in Phoenix there that uh, cross street when I was at there that Danny's Big Rig Resort, the Flying J sits over there, and they were tearing out all the uh, natural gas that they had. So they had the jackhammers pounding out all the concrete and all that from it. Okay. So yeah, all that natural gas stuff going away. That the Flying J there and. Think so. I wonder what that means. So, yeah, that's interesting. So, I forget what year it was. I'm thinking it was like 2014. There was a year I started calling it the year of natural gas in trucking because that's all anybody talked about that year. Like, yeah. natural gas was going to be the biggest thing yeah. ever. 
Um, there's that company, I think it's mm-hmm. Roush. That sounds right. That is big yeah. into the, you know, um, alternative fuels, natural gas, some of those other things. They're pretty big in the pickup truck market. And then they got into trucking. And there were a ton of trucks being built back then. Cummins was big in the natural gas program. So I was watching it. I, I didn't think this was really the right way to go. Natural gas doesn't have a whole lot of energy. It's not, it nowhere near the amount of energy that diesel has. So you're going to use more of it to, to go a mile than you use of diesel. There's just no way you're going to get better fuel economy. You're going to get worse fuel economy per mile. Yeah. The, the, then what it comes down to mm-hmm. is, well, what about cost? Well, one of the problems with natural gas is the, pro, the, the cost of natural gas seems to be more volatile than diesel. I mean, natural gas is all over the board. Yeah. Changes like crazy. So th- that didn't seem to make sense to me. It didn't look cost effective. But then like a year or two later, I remember finding some of the reporting and they were claiming that to run a class eight truck on natural gas, the maintenance cost doubled. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. So now I understand why they're tearing it out. Now I'm wondering, are we really going to consider hydrogen over electric? And I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I, I, it doesn't seem like a good idea to me. I mean, I think that the future is just pure yeah. electric. And all we need to do is a little better battery technology. We do need to build out more infrastructure. That's our biggest problem with electric, in my mind. We just don't have the infrastructure in the country to support it, and I don't know how we're going to get there. So, but this idea that, like, the the original Nikola truck was hydrogen over electric. It's big, it's heavy, it's complicated, it's expensive, and we have to build this whole infrastructure for hydrogen. So, you know, they're tearing out the natural gas pumps that didn't work. Now they're going to put in hydrogen, and and five years from now, you and I are going to be talking again, hey, look, they're tearing out the hydrogen pumps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, I've been watching here the past couple weeks how the different shows on the History Channel about, uh, you know, the cars that built America, the food that built America, and how all these different, you know, companies and how they you know went through their struggles and how Ford had his struggles how Chrysler had their struggles and how the big they were just trying to you know make good money that's all they're trying to do but they had their issues that came up and didn't keep up with each other so yeah one yeah. of them failed and then another one you know took over and then the other one failed and the other one took back over so yeah I I, I love those it's kind a, of stories quite an interesting story yeah Okay. Yeah, well, I saw uh, Dr. Latanza this last week, and all my blood work looked really good, and the only issue I really had was, uh, what was it? Uh, oh, I can't remember what it is now. Oh, some of my histamine or whatever was kind of high on my, but all my markers from in the past, when I told you about my inflammation markers, we're all in the red compared to everything else and all that. All yeah. that's well within range now. So good. It's it's looking good for me in that regard. Excellent. My blood pressure is really good. 
taking that cardio miracle now. So love to hear it. Going good for me in that regard. Good stuff. So anyway, I'll let you go, Kevin. You have a great rest of the day. All right, Mike. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Tennessee. Ilya, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Um, I'm a long, I'm a uh, long time listener, first time caller. I usually drive at night, so I happen to be out during the day. Like I'll finally call in oh, with good. a few thoughts I had. Great to have you here. Shows. What's on your mind today? Um, right. Um, so the first thing I was calling about was um, I know you always talk about the stress protocol. I actually listen to all kinds of business shows as well, uh, like a lot of tech startup shows, marketing, whatever, finance. And uh, I actually hear a lot of younger guys, like under 30, like these millionaires that started these companies. And they talk about basically the same kind of points, but like, but I guess for different reasoning, I'm not sure like that they have the same goal in mind. But for example, like I'll be listening to one episode and the guy's like talking about the cold plunge baths that he's buying one. The other guy gets interested. Then later on, he'll be talking about the shorter workouts with higher intensity. I'm like, oh, that sounds familiar. (laughs) And then... Well, well, then even better. Next episode, he's like, oh, yeah, uh, like I was in my infrared sauna the other day. I was like, oh, my God, it's lining up. And then grand grand finale, he brings up Wim Hof and how he does the breathing, uh, like, basically every day. I'm like, wow, this is the whole thing. It, yeah, exactly. I, I have a feeling they're doing it like, for better performance. Probably, yeah, but I, they basically do the same stuff. The one guy, he's like pretty strict, like meat and vegetables, no carbs, no nothing. And he like, he he says he goes off the diet once in a while, but it's like very planned. Like he knows he's going to be off of it. Yeah, and right. Like he gets right back on. And like his body fat percentage is like crazy, like low. And he just feels awesome all the time. He's like, every time I go off, it's horrible. Like, <laughs> that's pretty much I feel the same way. Like, yeah, exactly. I'll take the weekend off and like, it's almost like a hangover, but it's just it, like from eating like pasta. I'm like, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're right. It is like a hangover. And every time in my life I had a hangover, I hate that feeling. And I would say to myself, my God, why do you do this to yourself? You know, just stop it. So yeah, finally I stopped exactly. doing that. That and was just it, a dumb thing. And And you're right. Now you can do it with food if you're not careful. Right, yeah, and, and driving at night, too, like, it makes it so much harder, like, every time I'm just waiting to get back into it, like, just the the lower energy is horrible, it makes it so much harder. Yeah, I'll bet. Well, it's good to see that it's um, uh, it's catching and then, on and maybe spreading. Yeah, they're all into it, they even have, like, guests once in a while, they'll be, like, basically doing the same kind of stuff also. Good. And, uh, I was like, wow, it's, like, lining right up. Yeah. Pretty interesting. And, uh... I also had a couple of points about like what's going on with the economy, like some interesting stuff. Uh, I actually, I used to be a uh, lease to a carrier, but now like as uh, I'm a company driver with, with the company contracted to a Walmart warehouse here. Okay. And uh, just an interesting point. Usually they'll give us like one, one cent a mile raise, two cents a mile raise once in a while, three, like per year, whatever. And then uh, a couple months ago they gave us like, um, maybe a month ago, they gave us a raise of eight cents a mile. I was like, 
should you be doing that right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, the problem was I talked about this several times uh, starting back in about 2017 or 2018 that fleets are going to have a very, very difficult time with this. They're going to have to raise pay if they want to keep drivers. But when this thing turns around, they're going to have to figure out how to keep paying that rate because you can't take it back. I mean, you just can't. You can't go to your employees and say, yeah, you can't go to them and say, hey, the economy's turned. We're going to take that raise back. Nobody likes that. Nobody. But they were just stuck between a rock and a hard place. They they just didn't have many choices. And I think we will see two things happening. We'll see a lot of what they call consolidation, meaning, you know, trucking companies that figured this out will be buying up the trucking companies who couldn't figure it out and are going to go out of business. And they'll pick up equipment and drivers cheap. Uh, and that's a good thing for the successful companies. Uh, we'll see that happen and, and we'll just see companies just go bankrupt and go out of business. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. I was worried. I was like, we'll see what happens next year or whatever, how this plays out. Yeah, I talked about a story Um, a couple weeks ago of a very, very successful family trucking company. It had been around like 70 years or no, maybe even longer than that. It was a long time. Um, They had been around long before deregulation. They survived deregulation, which most companies didn't. And um, the article was they were going out of business. And I, I thought at first it was because of the economy. And then I read it and it turns out that they were still pretty darn successful. They always have been. The problem is the current owners, and they're like the second generation that running it, um, the current owners are ready to retire and they want to retire, and none of their kids want to take over the business. Uh, I'm not sure why they didn't sell it. I mean, when I looked at their numbers, it looks like they may have been a good target for somebody else, but basically what they said was, we're going to exit now, and this was a month or two ago, because we can still get so much money for our equipment. They decided to pull the plug early mm-hmm. because they were watching the economy and they saw the writing on the wall. So equipment is still selling really strong. Prices are still somewhat good. Not now. They've really fallen apart since then. But I think that was a brilliant move on their part. Mm. That's actually one of one of the business I, ideas that these guys on that same business podcast I was telling you about that they were talking about was a uh, like an app or a brokerage website specifically for businesses of people that are about to retire and their kids aren't interested in the business just for sales like that. It, it's uh, uh, it's a fairly it, common phenomenon, and the interesting thing is, it seems to be that the this generation doesn't like certain industries. Like they, they tend to shy away from the old school, you know, low tech kind of industries like trucking. They, they don't, people don't want to be mechanics mm-hmm. anymore. People don't want to be laborers anymore. Everybody wants to be some sort of influencer or, you know, you know, social media celebrity or um, it doesn't seem like anybody wants to work yeah. much anymore. Uh, and so you're seeing this, these yeah, businesses, low, low that, work, low contribution. Yeah. These businesses that have been in the family for generations. And now this next generation just doesn't want anything to do with it. Uh, it a, a successful mm-hmm. business, but they don't like the industry, I guess. And um, we're going to see more of that. Right. 
And then the last thing, I, I read an article I thought you might uh, think is interesting about uh, Amazon today uh, on Bloomberg. Uh, I guess there was a firm that, like, keeps track of, like, Amazon real estate. I guess it, like, that's, like, a way they track, like, what's about to happen with the economy. And they saw that. And so this is, like, their quote. Amazon is either shuttered or killed plans to open 42 facilities, 42 wow. warehouses. Wow. And delayed opening or canceled an additional 21 in Europe. Yeah, it, it, it's that's, coming. That's I mean, we, we've been saying it for a long, long time. There's no way to avoid it. Uh, when you look at FedEx came out, you know, a week ago and said early, they weren't even set to announce their earnings yet. They came out early and said the numbers are so bad, we think our investors should know it now. That, that's almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. And they are predicting a huge yeah. global slowdown. And so is Amazon. And yeah. those are the companies that are right on the top of logistics. And logistics are a leading economic indicator. When you watch what's going on in trucking, yeah. that's what's coming in the economy not long from now. So it's not, un, it's not a surprise that the first big companies that are starting to announce things like this, they're in logistics. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely. Well, that's all I had for today. All right. Good stuff. Thanks for the right. call. Good to have you as a new caller. Longtime listener, new caller. Love that. Let's go to New York. Zane, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, uh, I'm the same as the last guy, long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, oh, I love that. I found you, yeah, I found you a few years ago on that other platform. <laughs> and uh, when <laughs> when you left there, I just kept following you. Anyways, you, you mean when, I just want to tell when, you, uh, when, last year. You mean when my ass got canned that time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and what I did, I, I, I communicated with those guys. I wanted to know why, and they would never tell me, so I just canceled the whole account. You know, I, I got thinking they still about after, you know, they want me to. Yeah, of course. Yeah, they'll offer you a lifetime free. They'll do all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff. Um, I, you know, I got yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. It, it, it's really the first time in my life. And I can't say I was fired because it was a contract. The contract was canceled. Um, but be, I've only had like yeah. three jobs my whole life. Two of them was before I was 17. Um but I've never really had anything like I've never been fired. I've never been laid off. I've never lost a contract. Well, maybe I did lose one. I guess I did lose another big one. Uh, the partners in business. I was getting paid quite a bit of money to do that. And ATBS came in and did it for free. Um, so I did lose that one, I guess. But I haven't lost many. Uh, and the serious thing was a pretty big deal. But you know, it's, it's like so many of those stories I've read over the years that, you know, sometimes those things that seem like they're really bad turn out to be not so bad at all. And sometimes yeah. they turn out to be really good. And I have to say, I am a whole lot happier doing the show like this. I love, I was getting pretty burnt out. I mean, I had been talking to Lisa like, I need to take some serious time off. I'm just not motivated much anymore. And I want to be, but I'm not. And um, this whole thing kind of re-energized me. Yeah, I I really like the new platform personally. I just no commercials, just yeah. get yeah. through the thing, and so it's great. Hey, listen, I just wanted to 
mentioned to you last year, I was listening to you in the, you're talking about the economy and what to expect and things. And we were, I just decided to start watching things like, man, I think Kevin's on track. So anyways, uh, long story short, we, we paid off all our debt. Excellent. Excellent. And yeah. And so as the economy is going wonkers right now, it's like, I'm just so glad we did that. Doesn't that feel good? uh, I have two questions. It does. It feels great. Two questions for you. One is um, why, after you pay off all your debt and all your payments are on time and everything, your credit rating keeps going down. It can. They keep, they'll say, oh, you, you drop three points and they say something like, uh, you're a slow payer. And it's like, <laughs> I've never missed a payment in my exactly. life. Exactly. I know. But I, so, I, I think what it is, they want you to be in debt. Oh, absolutely. I think that's what they no, want. They want. No you to be doubt. In debt. They, they want you to. That is absolutely correct. Um, there are some good sites out there now where you can learn more about this. A lot of these like free credit report kind of sites and apps and, um, you know, they're going to market to you heavy. Obviously nobody gives you anything for free without a, uh, some motivation. So you got to deal with some heavy marketing, but I've found a lot of these, um, like credit karma is one of them. Um, there are several that have come out over the last couple of years they will teach you more about how that score works. And and that's always been almost somewhat kind of hidden. And it's very complicated and convoluted. And, you know, you can close a credit card account and your score will go down. Well, why? Why should my score go yeah. down? Yeah, because exactly. I closed an account. And it's this complicated formula about how much credit you have available how here's one of the ways to have a, a higher score have lots and lots and lots of credit available, but don't use it very often. That's one of the ways, but if you close those accounts, your score actually goes down because they want you to have availability of that credit. That That's the only explanation for it because yeah. it doesn't make sense, but you're right. You, you would think that you get there, all your debts paid off. You would think you'd shoot right up to 800 plus and it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's it's frustrating actually. It you is. Know, it's like I, I was almost at eight fifty. Yeah, yeah. And then when it, we paid off everything, it, uh, yeah. You know, oh, your score dropped twenty three points. You know, it's like what? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I have one of those services that monitors my credit score. It's part of Mint. I've talked about, you know, having Mint, and that's one of the tools in there. Yeah. monitors your yeah, credit score. And it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And I'm like, why does it keep changing? I don't use credit anymore. I mean, I have almost nothing financed yeah. these days, and yet my score's all over the place. I'm like, why does it keep changing? I'm not doing anything. It's It's crazy. Yeah, that's just hey, anyways, the way it works. My second question is: second question is when when would you recommend we uh, pull the savings and put it in like a CD or something? Because I'm watching my um, account and it's it keeps dropping. I mean, with with the stock market and everything, it's like good grief, we've lost. So you know, you're talking about an investment account that's not a retirement account, correct? Yeah. Okay. So we, right. we, yeah, we, we don't we, uh, ever really pull out of retirement accounts. Now, we could move it out of the stock market into a cash fund. but So this is an investment account that isn't tied to a retirement account. So we could do basically whatever we want right. with it. Um, 
Do you have a retirement account? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we do. So the re- and how old are you? So this, I'm sixty-one. Oh, you shouldn't be in the market at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I. I That's what I, I was wondering. Yeah, at the at this point, you know, if this was twenty thirteen. And you were 61 and you were still in the market. I would probably say stay Mm -hmm. because there was still a lot of room for upside and we knew it and we knew we would have time and years. The the outlook was good. Right now, the outlook is about the worst I've seen in my lifetime. Honestly, I, I just I am more afraid of this recession than I've ever been of any other. Not for myself. Luckily, you know, by the time I got to 60, I got got some of this right. So I'm not too worried about it for myself. I'm worried about it for a lot of other people in the economy. So I would say you need to start working all of your money out of the market. Um, And when to buy a CD, here's kind of what you want to watch. So the interest rates are going to continue to go up, but it's going to happen over time. If we ever get back to that 10% CD that I was talking about that we had in the early 80s, it's not going to be for a year or more. In order to get to that place, we're going to have to have extended inflation. Like if, if, if they raise the rates and the economy crashes enough, that might kill inflation. It didn't in the early 80s. The economy died, but inflation would not go away. And we called it stagflation. That's why it was so bad. You know, inflation isn't a big deal when everybody's got a job and they're all making money. But if inflation keeps going up and everybody starts losing their jobs, that's a disaster. And that's what happened in the early 80s. If that happens this time, it's going to take at least a year, probably two to get there. So if I were to go out and I haven't even looked at CD rates yet because I'm not interested yet. But if I were to go out and look and say I could get a three-month CD at a reasonable rate, well, sure, I'll, I'll do that because I'm not worried about tying my money up for three months. I don't want to tie up a year-long mm-hmm. CD right now knowing that the rates are going to keep going up the rest of this year. So I don't want to be locked in because once you buy that CD, that's your rate for the entire term. So we don't want one-year, two-year, three-year CDs not right now, but if we had some money sitting around and the rates start to climb on a three-month or a six-month CD, I might do that. Okay, that's a good idea. Does that make sense? It's just a timing thing. Now, if we we get to the top, if we get to the place where, and it doesn't have to be 10%, if I got to the place where I had 7% on CD rates, and if I could lock them in for a year Mm -hmm. or three or even five, I'll do it then. When we get to the top, then I'll try to lock in longer-term CDs. Yep, I like it. Good Good stuff. Yeah. I, did you say on your show one time, I can't remember if I heard you say it or that was someone else, but that the, um, to kick the inflation, they have to actually get the uh, Fed rate up to match the inflation I, rate. I said that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it takes typically. Yeah. And that, that it's almost impossible for yeah, us yes. to get there right now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's the scary that's part. What happened last it, week when they raised it. 
Yeah. yeah. In in order for them to get there, they're going to have to do it slowly. See, they could have done a full point this last week. They didn't. They did three quarters. So they'll they'll raise it yeah. slowly, trying not to crash the economy, but trying to slow it down. They want to slow down the economy. They don't want to crash it. And the problem I see is they just waited too long. Now it now it's um, it, it's kind of out of their control. I mean, no, we don't know what's going to happen. It's too unpredictable now, but I think it's just because they waited too long. I mean, remember, for a year, the administration said it's transitory. Their, their inflation isn't real. It, right. It'll go away. Now, now they're, this administration is saying, yeah, they're, the administration is now saying, oh, this is going to disappear next year. Bullshit. No, it's not. Yeah. That's not even a good guess. But they, they keep saying it, and... and you know, when they were saying it's transitory, well, then the Fed wasn't doing anything. They just sat back and said, we don't need to do anything about yeah. this. It's going to go away. Well, they were wrong. And it's the, the uh, Janet Yellen admitted she got it wrong. And now she's on TV saying, oh, this is going to go away next year. Why would I believe you? You were completely wrong last time. <laughs> so I'm not going to believe you this time. A- and it's not even yeah, a matter of just believing her. Just look at the evidence. This isn't going away that easy. No. Uh-uh. That's why I'm going to start looking at CDs. <laughs> it, it's time to start watching those rates, yeah. And like I said, in the beginning, you can pick up three and six months if you need some place to put some money. And just don't get too locked in right now. Yeah, sounds good. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Kevin, for everything. Uh, really appreciate your show and... I'll get off the line here and let others get on. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. How's it going, Kevin? Good. Quick thing on the, uh, the CNG. Uh, my, my boss used to do it in Wisconsin. He got it. And he made money, I mean, because of, he used to lock in when he bought the, C, the, the, the CNG. So in other words, he'd say, all right, I'm getting 20,000 gallons at X amount of price. So no matter what the pump said outside, he wasn't paying that. Right. So he was able to lock in, you know, for, on, yeah. You know, and that that idea, money on that idea of, and there's a couple ways to do this. One of the ways companies have done this is you can buy and sell futures. So Southwest is famous for controlling their fuel cost in their planes by buying and selling um, aviation fuel futures. So it's not for amateurs. You really, really need to know what you're doing. But Southwest has been pretty successful at it. I've seen a couple trucking companies talk about it. I've never really seen anybody pull it off. Yeah, he did it. Like I said, he used Quick Trip, and then the other place was uh, U.S. Gain. was like another... uh, uh, CNG company up like Wisconsin area, up Midwest, I should say. Yeah. And uh, he, like I said, he just would lock in. But he also made money on the fuel surcharge. So whatever the diesel was, he was still charging it. And basically, he wasn't spending the money, you know, the extra money on the thing. Now, yeah, I haven't exactly. talked to him in a while, which I'm going to shortly and be to see what's going on. But, you know, he, he was able to make money with that, too, because he was charging as he had diesel fuel surcharge, but he wasn't paying you know, the extra money for the diesel. Right. Yeah, that, that's kind of how Southwest was so successful financially. 
You know, and it always, you know, I look at things that in business and I wonder why other companies are hesitant to I, I, let, just steal an idea. If it really works, why wouldn't you? And Southwest is a great example. I used to fly a lot, so I have a lot of experience with all the different airlines. Ultimately, I settled on Southwest and had nothing to do with price. I would pay more for a ticket to fly Southwest. I wouldn't even go shop price. And I always wondered why other airlines didn't copy their model. It was so successful. Everybody knows it. Everybody talks about Southwest in the aviation industry. And yet these other airlines actually resist copying their ideas and still criticize their ideas. How could you criticize them? Their numbers are way better than yours. <laughs> I got another question now. As far as the um, the fermented grape tomatoes, how long do you let them ferment for? You know, they're pretty quick. I, I would taste them in about okay. two days. 48 hours, 48 okay. to 72 hours, start tasting them. I just realized mine... Might have been in the refrigerator for a couple weeks now. And actually, the tomatoes are getting a little too soft for me. This doesn't look like a ferment that really lasts a long time. This is more of a a quick ferment. You could be eating them in 48 hours, and I would probably say I wouldn't want to let them go more than about two weeks. Even in the refrigerator, they're getting soft. Okay. All right. I just did a batch yesterday. I had some fresh basil out of the garden out there. Well, I should say garden out of my planter pot. That's all I got going on this year. That's all right. But, there you um, go. I just need that. And my legs the legs all healed up now, so I'm going to start back tonight on my X3 bar. And, uh, Good. The, uh, my eye, so the burns all healed up nice, thank God. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. I'll let someone else get in there, Kevin. All right. Good talking to you. Let's, let's head off to Alberta this time. Ben, welcome to the program. Oh, let me try hitting that button again. There we go. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing? Doing good. What's on your mind today? Uh, just a quick thing. Uh, I was just listening to the last couple of weeks, uh, the shows, and you were talking about you're not getting very good sleep. Have you ever tried the cold showers um, in the evening before bed? Yeah. Because that's um, what I've been doing, and my yeah. sleep has been getting quite a bit better. Yeah, so I, I, I discovered something interesting yesterday about my sleep, and I don't know why I didn't catch this sooner. And I'm not sure what it means, but I'm, I'm going to have to go figure it out. So it turns out that the more active I am during the day, the worse my sleep will be that night. And it, it, I can take it to extremes. Um, the other day I pushed way too hard on everything that day and got like two and a half hours of sleep that night. It seems backwards. It would seem like the more work you do during the day, the more you exert yourself during the day, the better you would sleep. But for some reason, whatever yeah. is broken with my sleep and something is broken... Whatever it is, has something to do. If I want to get a a good, well, a better night's sleep, I won't call it a good night's sleep. I went back and looked at my patterns because I track almost everything with wearables and I take notes and I measure things. And um, I don't always 
have time to go back and analyze it. So this weekend I did. I, I was kind of, you know, I'm going to do a big deep dive into sleep right now and see what I can learn. Um, so I went back and was looking at my sleep data and comparing it to some other things. And I'm like, wait a minute, my best night's sleep come after one of those days where I've pushed so far that I'm just done. I'm just toast. And all I do is lay around all day and maybe read, maybe watch a little TV. I just don't exert much at all. And then I get a good night's sleep. And the opposite hat yesterday, there's a lot going on in the garden. So I really have a, and it's a lot of physical work. I'm planting for the winter garden, harvesting all the stuff. It's just a lot of work. And I, pushed yesterday and had another horrible night of sleep last night. So it, it kind of verified that that seems to be the pattern, but that is a bizarre pattern. Right. Yeah. I just said I'd throw that out there because that's what's been helping me. Yeah. I, I, I guess have, you got to play I, around. And I actually stop, stop. did my protocol last night later in the day because I had, you know, done so much during the day. So I did my protocol in the cold shower late in the day and it did not help at all. I mean, like I said, I think it was actually worse. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, uh, the reason I called is, uh, I have a model CH613 Mac and, uh, what year? this truck has been all four. Okay. And it's got uh, 433 rears. Wow. And it's got... Uh, you. I, I take it you did yeah. not buy this truck new. It's a farm truck. Yeah, th- I was going to say that? this. I, I said you didn't buy this truck new. This was either set up for local construction or local farming. Yes. And uh, it's a farm truck right now. But anyways, it needs to get back to life. It's been certain there's a few drivers that had it. And uh, I'm just wondering if you know much about oil pressure on that engine. It's a, a AC460P. That's the model engine. So the Mac my, engine. my biggest question, because it's 04, was it EGR or not? Yes. I wouldn't buy it. What's that? I wouldn't buy it. Oh, well, uh, we already own it. It's a company truck. Oh, okay. Well, I thought so, the question was going to be, should we buy it or not? Um, yeah, I, I, if, if it were an 03 non-EGR, exact same model, I'd grab it in a heartbeat. But being the, the EGR, I, I'd rather not have it. But that's not... So what is your question about this truck then? So when the oil... Do you know what uh, oil temperature range, no, sorry, coolant temperature range is in that engine? It runs pretty warm, like 205, 210. Well, here's the thing. We don't know if somebody's changed um, thermostats. So we have to, but if you don't know what thermostat's in it, pull it out and check. My guess is if it's running 205, you probably have a 200 or 205 degree thermostat. And you may not want that in there. Yeah. You know, the newer trucks, we do want to run hotter because it's good for the emissions. This one, I know it's got EGR, but running it hotter isn't always the best way to go. It might not be bad. We'd have to try a few things. But the first thing to do is pull out a thermostat and see what you've got. Yeah. 
Yeah. I was thinking maybe I'll call back tomorrow when Bruce is on, but the oil pressure at idle when that engine is up to 200 is only 10, 10 to 15 PSI. Well, the higher the, the dealer, the higher the, dealer, the oil temperature, the dealer up the then I would tend to believe them. I might verify it through another dealer, but that, that may be. I don't remember this engine much at all because I never dealt with it. Like I said, I loved the 03, hated the 04, and never really dealt with it much. Um, so that those may be uh, the correct temperatures, but when you get oil hotter, it gets thinner, and the oil pressure will go down. So at idle with oil that hot, 10 pounds might be fine. Yeah, yeah. But the dealer anyways said it's fine. And then another now, I would, thing, do I you would know assume, much about air I would assume at operating speed, you're up in the 30 to 35 range for oil pressure. Yes. The, the minute you hit the throttle, it goes right up. It should be fine. Yeah. I think it, it goes up. That's what I'm thinking. It, it's normal. But anyway, it's got, it's only got a 1100 CFM air filter, like a stock air filter, one, a single one. I'm wondering if that's a big what? enough air filter for that engine. What are you using this truck for? It's for local, lots of gravel, local farm work, gravel hauling. Oh, uh, yeah, that's just like around. Yeah, it should be fine. I mean, I, I wouldn't be spending a lot of money on a truck like this to try to get better fuel economy. There's a couple things we could do to to make it better, but I, I'd probably just run this thing. I can't imagine you're putting that many miles on it a year either. No, not too many miles, but it doesn't have the logging torque, like the logging power. For There's a few hills in our area, and I'm just wondering, it's probably... Are the rears all that good for this local yeah, farm work, it, it, or what? What would how would you back a truck? Well, you know, if category? we if we use this idea that a a lower gear ratio, meaning a higher number, is better for pulling, well, then you're not going to get much better than four thirty threes. So that's kind of the point we always try to make, though, is that that rear end ratio doesn't have much to do with pulling, and everybody thinks it does. It doesn't because you have, I don't know how many, 13 other gears, 10 other gears? Yeah. Yeah, so the rear end ratio doesn't indicate how well something's going to pull. What really indicates how well we're going to pull is torque. It's not even horsepower, it's torque. How much torque can you produce and are you producing it at the right RPM range? That's really where the rear end ratio comes in. It's a way for us to customize right. where we hit our our torque ratings. So I I, right. I, I doubt that four thirty three is the best gear ratio for this truck in any operate. Now, like a heavy local operation, it's not bad. I mean, that was pretty common. Um, I, you know, we could play around and see that 390s might be a little better, but we're talking, you know, six to $8,000 to change out those rear ends. You're never going to make it back. I would just run this truck and, you know, right. ma- maintain it, maybe throw a couple modifications on it. A fleet air filter certainly couldn't hurt. Um, if you knew somebody that knew how to tune these, 
The tune is probably about the best thing you could do for this. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe maybe I'll give you a shout back tomorrow when Bruce is on and they yeah. could probably yeah. I could tell him a lot more about this because it's like even the exhaust system isn't set up properly. It's got like four nineties in the exhaust system. Yeah, maybe see, we could even change that. I would. Though now you're on the right track. It. Those are the kind of things we can do pretty inexpensively. We're not investing a lot of money and you'll see an improvement in performance, you'll see an improvement in fuel economy. Yeah, those are the kind of things I'd be looking at. Right. Yeah, but I thought I'd give you a shout today and uh, just get your take on it and then maybe call the power guys back tomorrow. Sounds good. And they could probably tell me. Yeah. More, eh? Yep. So one more question, Kevin. Uh, on the, I did a C-reactive protein test. Okay. And it came back at 0.6. Excellent. Uh, is that that that's on the low side, correct? Any, I wasn't sure. Anything under three point zero is good. You're at point six. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, but I've been really noticing uh, when I'm supplementing omega three, my back pain has like it really just disappears good it, good. it, it went away pretty good uh, after I changed uh, all the inflammatory foods and then uh, I really noticed the omega-3 supplements they really had it just you know, disappeared that's, after that that's the and nice I, thing about cleaning up your diet is then you can start listening to your body all right the standard American diet is so dirty and so bad for us our 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 signals are messed up. We can't really trust our body. We can't trust our food cravings. We're just kind of a mess. But when you clean up that diet, then you can start paying attention to your body and doing what you just did. Well, you know, I still have a little bit of pain, but if I do this omega-3 supplement, it goes away. And I can promise you most people on the standard American diet could take an omega-3 supplement. Their pain is not going to go away. It's not going to go because <laughs> I tried it. Right. It does right. not work. It, no. But all of a sudden, when you really, really clean up your diet and you take the right supplements, they actually do work. Right. Yeah. But I figured I'd just take the C-reactive protein test just to see where I'm at. And yeah. now I know, Ex- I guess. Excellent number. Yep. Really appreciate it, Kevin. Okay. Well, thank you, eh? You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Maryland. Luke, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Tax question for you. Uh, I live in Pennsylvania, but I do a lot of running in Maryland with the truck, and I have a fuel tank at the house to fuel up every night. That way I'm full. I don't worry about getting fuel on the road. So I'm paying the Pennsylvania fuel tax, which is much higher than Maryland. So uh, every quarter, I am getting a check back from the IRS for the difference in my fuel tax. Correct. Question, what do I, which category does that go back in the fuel category as a refund on my taxes? Or where do I put that check in my records? Yeah, um, you might as well just throw it into fuel. Um, We, we. Do you track fuel tax separately in your accounting? 
No. Okay. I and, mean, and, I have and, a, and most people don't, and there's no reason to. So let's just start. There's no reason to. It's not that big of a deal. Okay. Um, we have a fuel tax report that tells us much more about our fuel tax situation than accounting would. So I, I don't really recommend tracking fuel tax on your accounting. We don't need to. So then fuel tax kind of just gets rolled in with fuel. So yes, if you get a refund, just show it as a refund against fuel. Okay. That answers my question. Then. And and let me say one other thing about this. A lot of people would be tempted to just ignore those refunds. I, I can promise you this in an audit and audits are pretty rare. And this is why, you know, most people think they're, oh, no, that you can do that. I've been doing it for years. Yeah. Well, you've only been doing it for years because you've never been caught. And I can promise you in an audit, they will catch that in about five minutes. That one's right. so easy. They'll see the deposit and it won't match. And then it's what, why doesn't your income match your deposits? Well, here's why. I never put that back. So yeah, put it back into fuel. Okay. Uh, we'll do that then. All right. Anything else? Hi. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks Thank for you. the call. Let's head off to New York this time. Kevin, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, I've been a big fan of yours. I discovered you about six months ago, and I'm a retired ER nurse, flight paramedic, and New York State Trooper. I did those for 30 years, and you have taught me wow. more about nutrition than I learned in 30 years of medicine. You, you've had an impressive career, though. Congratulations. I, <laughs> well, thank you, sir. I dealt with trucking only from the law enforcement side, and I can tell you more than once, I when I worked at New York State Thruway, I would pull somebody over in the middle of the night and I would hear a voice and they would say, Hey, Trooper, are you okay? And they would be a trucker stopping to help me. Nice. Good. Good. And I have more than once, but your nutrition information, your eating information, uh, my God, I never got this much information in 30 years of nursing. No, actually, what you got was the exact opposite. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and when you started talking about nutritionists, the dietitians would just come in and tell the patient what they're going to eat. Right. I know. And it's awful. It's awful. Really? It I mean, it, the, the one way we can absolutely know the medical community could care less about nutrition is just look at the food in a hospital. It is god awful. We would have to order special stuff for people and beg for it. I know. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just ridiculous. When, when my mother-in-law was in the hospital and she was living here and we were taking care of her and because she's here, she's eating what we eat and everything about her health was improving except her COPD. And that, that was her major problem. And there's, there's not a whole lot we can do for that. Yeah. Not, not a whole lot we can do with that. We can make, we yeah, we made her more comfortable. She wasn't as anxious. Um, you know, we had her blood sugar under control, so she was feeling better about that. But ultimately, it was the COPD that kept putting her back in the hospital. Her pulse ox would go so low. And I, when I saw what they were going to feed her, I said, oh, hell no. No way. Um, so we, But you, you got to fight like crazy in the hospital. Yes, you do. You're the odd person for sticking up for the care of your loved one. 
Yeah. Oh, and they don't it like it. Happen often. And they don't like it. Oh no, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah, they they, they were really like told. Yeah, they were really annoyed. <laughs> and they do, and you have to stand up for it. Yeah, you have to stand up for it because if you don't, they walk all over you. Yep. Yep. And, I have and, to thank and, you so much for everything you've taught me. Oh, you're you're welcome. You know, you are part of this community. I mean, we we've almost been raised. Oh, yeah. we, we've almost been raised to believe that the medical community is close to God, and we just have to listen to them. Absolutely, and we would have people come in all the time thinking that we knew everything, and yeah. I would tell them, <laughs> as a nurse, our job was to interpret to interpret. And I would say, you know, you have to take control of what's happening with you. You yeah. can say no to the physician. And they would look at me and they'd say, really? I can say no to him <laughs> or her? And I'd say, absolutely. Yes, yes. It's called I refuse. That's right. But, but that part of medicine, I think, is disappearing. Yeah, I think so, too. If not disappeared altogether. Yeah, I think so, too. Then I don't see it getting any well, better. You taught me so much. I appreciate it. Uh, no, no, absolutely not. Not as the big conglomerates by all these hospitals. It just gets bigger and bigger, and the patient care gets pushed to the side. Yeah, yeah, it is. It it it's unfortunate. It, it has nothing whatsoever to do with health. We shouldn't call it a health care system no, I, whatsoever. We should just call it a sick care system. That's what it is. They want you yes, to remain sick. I they just it, don't want you to die. Correct. And I think of you when you say about prescribing, okay, you come in, you get blood work taken, your cholesterol is 150. We're going to give you medication. We're not going to talk about how you got there, why you got there. We're not going to fix it. We're just going to reduce the number. And you ask why, and they really can't tell you. Well, and, and I would ask even a bigger question. When I go do the reading, I find out that people with low cholesterol die earlier than everybody else. If that's the case, why are you trying to lower my cholesterol? Because <laughs> that's what they're taught in school. They I know. Along with what they're taught, and that's yeah, cr crazy, crazy statistics that are hard to explain. People with low cholesterol commit suicide more often. What's with that? Amazing. Maybe it's I because yeah. Maybe it's because cholesterol is really, really good for our brain. Starve your brain of cholesterol, and you start thinking weird. And when I say to the, to the practitioners, we produce, I believe, it's ninety-five percent of our own Correct. cholesterol. Right? How are you going to treat that? Yeah. And they oh no. That, that that's why they love statins so much because statins block our liver from producing cholesterol. That's how they lower it. But then they fail yeah. to tell you that at the if you block the path for cholesterol, you're also blocking the path for CoQ10. We're taking a cholesterol medication because you're worried about my heart, but the medication you just gave me blocks my body from producing the most important nutrient for my heart, CoQ10. And doctors don't even bother to tell anybody if you're going to take this statin, which you shouldn't, but if you're going to, you better supplement with CoQ10. Interesting. No, they never tell you that. First, no. I've heard of this. 
Yeah, it, it, it's clear in the documentation. That's how it works. It blocks a pathway in the liver that produces cholesterol. That same pathway is used to produce CoQ10. Wow. Amazing. Well, hopefully it'll get better, but I'm not holding my breath for that. No, it, it will get better, and it is getting better for a very, very subset of people. You know, when 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 we talk yeah. about money and, you know, the rich caused all the problems and they talk about that 1% of the rich, um, I'm, I'm more excited about the 1% of the population that's figuring out how to be really healthy. But I don't think it's much more than about like 1% of the population. Absolutely, yeah. But you know what Absolutely. you'll see? You will see that that 1%... Not only are they healthier, but they'll outperform people in every area of life. They're going to be more successful at anything they do, whether it's sports or a job or money or whatever, just because they feel better and they're motivated and they have a good attitude. And that will just build on itself. So I, I think that, you know, if you think that the 1% of the wealthy is the way to be, the challenge with that is how hard do you think it would be to become 1% of the wealthiest people in the world? Something pretty hard to me. It'd be pretty difficult. But the good news is how yeah, hard would hard. it be to become one of the 1% healthiest? It's not that hard at all. It's not that hard. You taught me that. Yeah. It's so that's, that that's the good news. There's so much potential here and everybody could achieve it. That's not true with money. It's not even close to being true with money. People who aren't in the 1% will never make it to the 1%. It's so rare. But in health, it's available to everybody. You could put yourself in the top 1% and then you will outperform those people in every category. That is so true. You have excellent information, sir. Well, thank you, and uh, good talking to you. Glad to have you here. Call more often. Thank you, sir. I appreciate yes, sir, I will. Thank you, sir. All right. Good talking to you. All right. I think we're going to wrap this up today. Um, we blew through the calls there. I don't have a lot on my notes, so we will, uh, we will see you back here tomorrow for the Power Hour. Um, I'm not going to do the pit tomorrow. I'm working on some new ideas for the schedule. Some of this is going to have to wait till we finish all of our technology, but I've got to start working on um, the schedule. And some of our shows are going to become more like podcasts instead of live um, presentations. So the pit's probably one of them. I think we're going to move the pit to a recorded podcast. Um, mostly because that show works really well with guests um, and or co-hosts. The problem is I don't have anybody that can be there consistently. So the pit is probably the, the best show to move to a podcast first and try this format and see. So um, the way that will work is you'll still get new episodes of the pit you just won't be listening to them live. And for right now, it may not be on a schedule. It may not ever be on a schedule. If my um, 
if my co-host, you know, turn out to be, and it's most likely they're going to have other things that they have to do. So it would be a matter of, I would get together with the co-host or the guest, schedule a time we record it, and then it shows up on your app. So um, we're working on that. We're going to start making that transition slowly, one show at a time. Uh, We will always keep these live weekday shows at least one hour. Um, But we're going to be moving some of the shows to podcast, and we're going to be adding some shows probably as podcast as well. So we'll keep you informed on that. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.